Hi, diddly ho, preparinos. This is Nat, the preparedness guy on Preparedness Works. Preparedness Works is part of the Readiness Lab, the place for podcasts, webinars, and training in the field of emergency and disaster services. This week, I had the super special opportunity to talk to James, the intrepid commander from Prepper Broadcasting Network on a Preppers Live. So I'm going to share that here so you can hear an enthralling conversation. I hope you enjoy and go check out the Prepper Broadcasting Network everywhere. The Prepper Broadcasting Network. We have to hit the reset button and create a true culture of preparedness starting at a very young age and filtering all the way up. Welcome in PBN family. It is Preppers Live. Another Monday is upon us. I hope you got time to go through the uh, the weekend wash of content. We had some great we had some hidden gems from Dave Jones, the NBC guy, over the weekend. Make sure you listen to those. He had another rousing, another rousing sort of unity speech this morning. Also, I uh, I kind of let you down. I'll be honest with you. I should have got on here earlier and let you know because we're gonna have an awesome guest tonight. Uh, it's a guy I met at Prepper Camp 2021, and you know, it was a guy who was sitting adjacent me at the uh at the matter of facts shindig up the hill there and um you know not the preparedness guy has done some really cool stuff in a short period of time he's definitely an ally here in the preparedness game and for those of you who don't know him you'll get a chance to uh to hear his full spiel tonight we're gonna talk like we do here at preppers live you know we'll see where the show goes what we get into <clears throat> I know you wouldn't expect any less. What else do we got coming up? Oh, you know what? We're gonna have the uh we're gonna have the casual prepper guys on soon. I might bring Tim in on that show too as as a mediator. <laughs> Did you guys hear the, the workshop workshop? Is that what it was called last night? Tim would be mad at me. I can't remember what it was called. He had an awesome lineup of hosts. He asked me to be on. I uh wasn't. <laughs> I guess that is what it is, but so, <clears throat> what else, PBM family, before we get the, ho- the guest on with us tonight? Big shows all week. Make sure, you, uh, make sure you stay tuned to Double Barrel Tuesday. Patriot Power Hour guys are going to be big. And as usual, you know, the Bufords. The Bufords always do their thing. So, I think we can bring our man on. Let's do it. Actually, you know what? Let's wait one second. Let's one run ad real quick. And uh, when we come back, we will we will bring that the preparedness guy on. What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet? Fish mocks. That wasn't the ad. Fish docks. <laughs> for the Jeez. longest time, preppers have been looking for an answer for antibiotics in a disaster or emergency. In 2020. We watched the supply chain fall apart. When I met the team at Jace Medical, they explained to me how they can put a prescription of backup antibiotics into your hands. The Jace case is five different types 
of antibiotics. Unlimited physician follow-up for any questions relating to the use of these antibiotics and in a, a written emergency antibiotic guide that is authored by a board-certified physician. This is the antibiotic solution preppers have been waiting for. Go to jacemedical.com and check out the Jace case. Use the promo code PBN10 and you'll get 10 bucks off your Jace case. All right, take your medical preparedness to the next level. Go to jacemedical.com and use promo code PBN10 for $10 off. We are the Prepper Broadcasting Network. PBN family, the relentless Prepper Broadcasting Network. Listen, get your medical readiness straight. I'm serious. Them Jace cases are sweet. I got one of my own. The uh, Go to pbnfamily.com. Click on the the medical cash link. Build your off-grid medical cash. It's a sweet link. If if you're sitting there thinking about medical readiness, medical preparedness, and you're like, do I get a book? Do I get a kit? Do I get, what do I get? What do I start with? You know, what first aid kit? When, all that kind of stuff. IFAC. <laughs> so much crap out there. It's crazy. This is like a trifecta over there at pbnfamily.com. It's the whole... It's the whole shebang, all right? And and I recommend this to everybody. It's great stuff. You'll know it all when you go over there. You'll see it all. You go, oh, yeah. Forgie, Jace Case, all the stuff in the book. You know the deal. So check pbmfamily.com out. Um, if you're a member, then obviously you can peruse all the content over there. If not, then what the hell, right? <laughs> so without further ado, Nat the Preparedness Guy is with us. My man, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Doing good, man. I appreciate you joining us tonight on Preppers Live. I'm I'm actually uh, really sorry it's taken us this long. Yeah, what the heck? <laughs> My sentiments exactly. My sentiments exactly. You know, we pile hosts into these shows and get guests onto these shows, and it's just, I don't know, man. I'm doing too much stuff most of the time. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. also, it's like a, you're doing really great stuff over there on Instagram. And usually it's like the squeaky wheel who gets on and you're kind of content over there. So I was, <laughs> it's one of those things. But then we got talking through Instagram, funny enough. And I said, you know what? I think the time has come. The time has come. So I guess, um, I guess you should tell the people who you are, right? So they know who, who Nat the yeah. preparedness guy is besides some guy James met at prepper camp. So I'm Nat, the preparedness guy, some guy James met at Pepper Camp. Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, uh, let's see. I am a professional emergency manager. I have a master's degree in emergency and disaster management. I've done, um, with the army combat medicine. I've done, um, emergency management with the air force and that includes, uh, Seaburn, so chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, as well as hazmat. I was a hazmat tech with them. And um, I've done, on the civilian side, emergency management with public health, with higher education, healthcare, uh, and in different communities and organizations, helping them all figure out what to do when things go crazy. Yeah, you're you're a professional, in other words. We're yeah. We're we're kind of like novices, 
or we go well, our I, own way type of thing, right? You know, I did my uh, my presentation at, at Prepper Camp last year was um, prepare like a pro, and I hope to get to do a variation of it again this year. And um, you know, the 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 problem emergency emergency management has as an industry or as a profession is they largely ignore the individual. And preppers are all about the individual. It's bottom up. It's how can I take care of myself and my family and then my little circle of people and all of that. And um, emergency management is always like a top-down um, kind of approach. So I'm trying to bridge the gap there uh, because I believe that the bottom up is the most effective. Uh, it can have the most impact, uh, but the, the top-down is also beneficial because when you call 911, you want somebody to show up. Yeah. And I mean, they're ideally both. Yeah, ideally you want yeah. both working, both doing their thing, as right. opposed the, to. No, oh, go ahead. No, yeah, and on the same page with things because there's this uh, animosity. You know, we as preppers are pretty sure they're, you know, getting us ready, getting ready to put us in FEMA camps, and then they, uh, you know, as emergency managers, we there's a there's like the the same negative connotation or the negative bias that uh, the rest of society. has as against preppers, emergency managers have to. You would expect that they would be the ones like, oh, yeah, everyone be prepared. But um, yeah, a lot of negative bias within what emergency What is it like we roll up into a community to help and the crazy preppers start shooting at us? Is it like that kind of kind thing? Kind of. I mean, everyone's got some idea, and um, I'm still trying to figure it out. But basically, I think if they don't like – the, the perceived reasons people prepare or the, the extent to which people prepare. But oh, it is, gotcha. they don't like, most of them don't like guns. They're like, Oh, you're too militant. Uh, or they don't like, um, just this idea that I don't need to listen to anybody. I can, I can hold my own. And then that could put them in danger. Hypothetically, if somebody refused to evacuate, for example, well, you know, I can appreciate, I, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of experience with I have to evacuate and making that decision. I mean, I've done it, but it's not. I'm not in an area where we get hit with hurricanes all the time. Mm -hmm. But I am one of those people who's probably sympathetic to the emergency management ethos when it comes to evacuation because I watch <laughs> every yeah. time I watch people well, who are like, "Nah, I'm I'm good," and they're honestly, never good. Most most preppers are most preppers understand that like they it's 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 funny because emergency managers look at preppers and think like oh they don't get it but they're the ones who get it the most like these are the, they're trying to do what you're doing but for themselves like for their their own family where like if if they take the chance which is what i've done i've taken i've taken the time to uh, be an emergency manager i've taken the time to be a prepper and i see that both sides are really trying to come to the the same end result but most most of these, um, the bias is just, it's just a misunderstanding because most preppers, when they're told, Hey, you need to evacuate. They're like, Oh, all right, I'm ready for this. I can evacuate. We've got our emergency kits. I can get in the car. I've got a place to go. No problem. Thanks for the tip. Oh and, yeah, of course. Yeah. They want to use them bags and them, you know, buckets and them. <laughs> right. They're like sweet. Bug this out is, vehicles. This is my time to shine. That's it. That's it. What do you, um, this is a question I always wanted to ask you, but it's a weird one to just throw out at prepper camp. What from your, cause you sit in that cool straddle position where you're in both worlds. You know, when you look mm -hmm. at emergency management, what are like the, 
what do you look at in the emergency management world and go, this is right on the money. Like this is the way this thing should be done. Mm, good question. Yeah, there are, there's a handful of things. Um, I, I figured as much. Yeah. Um, they really, it depends on how, how well they do it, but they try to really understand the threats and hazards that your community faces. Um, because that's, I mean, that's the first step for, for making a plan. Like what are the, what are the actual threats and hazards we face and what would the impact be? And then, then they can write a plan to address that. Uh, but then what I think is the most important and most fun part is training and exercises. When you have a plan and you want to be able to do something, you have to validate it. You have to get trained to it and then you have to validate it. So think about your own your own home. If my plan is that if there's a fire, I'm going to evacuate with my family. We're going to talk about it. We're going to make a plan, uh, identify where our assembly location is outside, our exit routes, and we can walk through it. We can talk about it. We can point at it, and then we can do a dry run, and that's the drills and exercises. And um, making those effective, emergency management can do that pretty well, um, drills and exercises. And that's why I love doing it at work is, is – creating a situation where people can get emergency experience without the emergency you and it basically it, it creates the stress inoculation um which is is where you have your heightened level of of adrenaline and your heart rate goes up a little bit you're not in actual any actual danger but you get to use your practiced skills in a higher stress environment that's controlled and safe um, so you can validate that you actually know them and can handle yourself in a more stressful situation before you're in a, a life and death situation. I love it. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's always one of the, the, the conducting of drills is always one of the toughest things um, for people to actually do. Yeah. You know? I mean, I remember working as a safety manager at a local food bank and even that was like pulling teeth, you know? We have to practice the fire drill, guys. Right. Or you're going to die. One of you's going to die. <laughs> you're well, going to yeah. get lost. Um, you're going to go the wrong way. You want to know it, those kinds of things so well that it's just muscle memory. You yeah. don't even have to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. They're, they're, they're tough ones, though. See, I imagine that emergency management does does takes the time and does the things, almost like the military, that... um preppers struggle to do on a regular basis you know things like training and things like drills because they're you know they're tough i was at the range this weekend man it's like you got to sell a kidney to get in and out of the gun range anymore you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> if you're gonna do anything fun or you're bringing your own ammo and that's you know it is what it is but <laughs> you got to sell a kidney to buy your ammo yeah that too you got to sell a kidney to replace it yeah <laughs> But, you know, those things cost money. They take time. They take effort. You know, when it comes to drills, you got to get the family on board. Right. It all depends, you know, week to week. I got an older son, so sometimes he'll be like, yeah, this is going to be fun. And sometimes he'll be like, I'm not, I'm in the middle of a video game, dude. This is an online game. I can't just be running out the door pretending there's a fake fire in the house right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so yep. it's, you know, those challenges exist. Anything else well, that they do? Yeah. Um, or that you do. I keep referring well, to them as they, as though you're not part of the group. <laughs> those are the those are the primary things, and some of those lessons are, like you said, in the military because they they're the 
they're the ones who do the repeated drills and, and practice stuff. That's kind of lessons learned that has translated from, from that kind of arena into the, um, emergency management sector. Um, like those are, those are the big things. Okay. Sometimes they can be pretty good at, at logistics or inventory, but sometimes they can also be really bad. A lot of it just depends on who's actually doing it. Um, because back in, I don't know, 2014 or something like that, 2015, I threw away thousands and thousands of N95 masks that were all dry rotted. Um, the oh, dry man. rot from sitting in a trailer because when, when something happens, people get scared and when people are scared they want something something to be done about it so funding always happens when people are scared and 2009 was h1n1 and they funded all sorts of initiatives for uh for getting n95s and other precautions for pandemics and then everyone got those they got tons of money so they bought things that were specific to that grant you can't just buy anything you want you have to buy things that are specific to that grant and they um sat in a trailer for the next five years and and then got thrown away because they were useless is there something like that going on with like uh potassium iodide right now possibly (laughs) massive funding and stack stacking and stockpiling yeah, and that's a funny one too because I mean potassium iodide is is a good thing to have. It's basically a, a specific uh, preventative measure for thyroid cancer after radiation, but that's the only thing it does. Like it's not going to help against any other radiation exposure or uh, like radiation burns or uh, organ failure on any other organs. It's specific to thyroids, um, but it is like you're exactly right. They government organizations they perceive a, a threat or they get scared and they go out and they get their vendors to get them all of the whatever it is that's on so IOSAT or whatever that's on that's for sale and it does impact the availability of, of those things. Um, right now everyone's into active attacker training. Um, that's uh, that's kind of a hot topic right now. Really? And even if well, yeah. I mean, over the last six months or so, um, even if you say like a year ago, you said, hey, we should do some active attra- attacker training. Your organization might say, no, that'll scare people. We don't want to <laughs> we don't want to bring that up. And then like a shooting happens in an organization like yours or you see it on the news and they're like, hey, why aren't we doing this active attacker training? <laughs> <laughs> so it's so are you guys doing... whatever. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. It's just whatever people are afraid of is what we do. Training <laughs> is the thing you do just after you need it the most. Yeah, right. That's yeah. Are you guys doing active attacker training for your facilities? Like we're going to do our active shooter training in case something happens in our building, or are you guys doing? Yeah. It in okay, so it's not like we're going to respond so, in some way. Right. So, well, in. In different ways. We basically, any organization you work for, if you're an emergency manager, you have like three areas of focus. One is um, like the risk management and safety portion of it. You're looking at your employees' health and safety. Um, so making sure your employees are taken care of. So that's fire drills, um, active attacker training for an internal attack if something happens at your facility. Um, it's the the issues that could happen like um, uh, water main break or anything that impacts the the people that work there. 
then you have your organizational mission. So if, if you are a government agency, it's to provide government services to the community. Uh, if you're a hospital, it's to treat patients. If you are um, working at a uh, semiconductor factory, it's to make sure that you are rolling out your semiconductors and, and whatever. If you're you know, a widget factory, you're making your widgets, you're sending your product out. So that's, your, that's your, the job of the, the company. So that's the second aspect is the business continuity. So you got risk management, safety, business continuity. Um, and then um, the third one, <laughs> I'm trying to remember now. So you got, yeah, you got, <laughs> yeah, you got the, the, oh yeah. The third one is the, the people you serve, right. The, to serve them. So if you're in a government organization, say you work for a County, you need to make sure that you can send responders, ambulances, whatever else to, to where they're needed. So if there's a fire, if there was an earthquake, you have to go and, and help the people in your community. Um, if you're working for a private business, it's your customers. If you're uh, an emergency manager for an airline, it's making sure that the the customers are getting flights um, that that they're not stranded somewhere. Or if there was an um, yeah, so that's that's your that's your thing. So it's it's the population served, your uh, workers, and then um, the mission. So whatever the service or product you 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 provide. Um, I don't remember what your question was. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I got a better one anyway. Um, so we were talking about active attacker training, whether or not you guys were. It seemed weird to me because I was thinking emergency management would be coming to the aftermath, maybe, yeah, well, of an active attacker training. You guys definitely wouldn't be like, oh, we happened upon a lunatic. Let's take them down. <laughs> yeah. You know? So typically emergency management is a behind the scenes kind of thing. Like some, some organizations you're on the scene or you're there. I mean, we, we definitely respond, but we usually don't respond to the scene. That's the incident commander, law enforcement, fire department, EMS, whoever is actually don't, doing the tactical work. And then emergency management is like a step back, one, one or two steps back where we make sure the people who are working on, on the scene have the right tools and resources they need that we're connecting all the dots, sending out notifications, communication. It's a coordination piece. Um, so say there was a, an active shooter situation in the, so it's, we, we worry about if it happens in our own facilities. So sure, we've got yeah. that responsibility, but if it happens in the community, we've got to worry about um, sending out emergency alerts, uh, coordinating the, uh, the law enforcement response. I mean, they, they run that pretty well. That's one, one good thing is with organizations that, like law enforcement, fire, EMS, they know their jobs pretty well, and um, can be can be relied on to, to basically do what you hope they would do. Um, and then they then they get an incident commander to help help direct, and then we support that the incident. Um, but so we would do all of that. Make sure, if there's there are a lot of patients, we're making sure that hospitals are notified, that all the patients are getting transported, that their families are getting the support that they need, notified, uh, that we have uh, consistent messaging to the community uh, so not everyone's out there blasting but we have like a public information officer and they are scripting or sharing one message from from all the organizations um so it is just all of that just behind the scenes making sure everybody's on the same page that we have a common operating picture and uh, that's not too confusing understood so this next one um is uh, it's come from like a handful of paragraphs 
that were written by FEMA, but it is such a it's such a debacle in the prepping world. How much time do emergency managers spend on training that would uh, focus on taking things away from preppers, <laughs> like food or guns? Or um, what percentage um, of your time is spent on that type of training? <laughs> I think no I know the answer, but I want to hear it from yeah. you. None of my time. Uh, it's not to say that there aren't contingencies. It is probably um, like executive orders that have some clause in there that gives emergency powers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so not to say it couldn't happen because it has happened. Like you think Hurricane Katrina, um, confiscations, relocations, uh, stuff like that happening. Um, but yeah, there's usually locally or in organizations around you, there's absolutely no type of uh, plan for something like that. Um, what there's would no, a, go ahead. What would a, a viable situation that would include that look like? Like if you had to put together the perfect scenario for your team to be like, okay, this disaster has done X, Y, and Z to this area. The population is under this type of duress. We have to source food and water from everyone around us to sustain the people. You know, is the, do you think there's a disaster of some kind of magnitude where that would be a thing? I don't think um, I don't think there's any sort of disaster. I mean, not just, I can't rule everything out, but um, for disasters that would require government to take resources from individual citizens, I don't think so. I, I just, it's the just risk unlikely. is probably too high, right? Well, yeah, yeah, there's a risk because you've got to actually physically go and take it. I mean, they might ask people to volunteer stuff, but the government knows where the warehouses and grocery stores and distribution centers are. They they know the resources that are in their area. and Much better to do, go there. Than, yeah, yeah, right? They can go and get, get you know, pallets thousands of, of pallets of food instead of trying to go door to door. Um, typically, if it's in your home it would just be considered yours. And most people don't have enough to, to make an impact, right? It's a few days and, and pe most people are out of food anyway. Um, so it would just be an enormous waste of resources to try to determine who has food and at least in a, a relatively short term. Um, if you're looking at like a localized martial law type of scenario, like you see in the, in the, um, prep fiction, perhaps something like that could happen. But, um, Typically, if things are running in a somewhat organized fashion um, through legitimate or semi-legitimate government functions, they're not going to do uh, individual. It, it's just unlikely and uh, unreasonable. Not to say that the government is reasonable, um, <laughs> but 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 definitely, I could see. Um, it's like if, if there's a disaster and they recognize, hey, we're cut off then we're, they would implement some sort of agreement or an IOU with with Walmart or sure, yeah. um, or Cisco or something. They they would go to their distribution facilities and say we're gonna we're gonna claim all this stuff. We'll we'll pay you back later. And yeah, most that disasters, that's yeah, that's kind of how it works. Anyways, it's like I mean, FEMA doesn't keep stockpiles of of food enough for communities. You know, like they they'll keep some for some responders and stuff like that, but um, 
they don't just have warehouses of, of food that they can take to people, like to citizens. Uh, they, I mean, they'll have like their MRE stockpile. Usually the National Guard will have that or something in that. And some of those could get, be distributed. Um, but most, they don't, they don't just keep a bunch of food that they can bring into your community truckloads. What they do is they find an unaffected warehouse, um, have some organization like Walmart, Say, hey, can we have, and they've got a list of, of basic food items. Can we have these things shipped in here and they get put in a truck through a government contract and it gets shipped into the disaster area? And so it's usually just in time sourcing, not, not pre positioned ahead of time. Yeah, I think that's a, it's probably one of those ego checks for the listeners out there and myself and anybody else who's ever thought about this thing to remind you that, you know, you're probably not as cool as you think you are. <laughs> You're probably not stocked up as much as you think you are because they, why would they come take your food if there's yeah so much elsewhere? The, the concern is if there is some sort of, if it's depending on how it's framed, depending on how it's, um, how the disaster is designed by them, um, is if, it, if they perceive it as some sort of threat, like if they're, they're trying to eliminate threats of people. Hurricane Katrina, there were a few instances of people, conf government agents confiscating, confiscating guns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And well, so I, it's like yeah. that. That's really where the, the threat is, is. And honestly, as long as we understand that there's any semblance of, of order or, you know, if we if we understand that it's um, end of the world as we know it. We, maybe we change our mind, but if there's any possibility in the back of our mind that things might get back to normal or that they're normal outside, 99.9% .9 of us are going to comply. Um, for, you know, for better or worse, we will. Like if somebody comes to, their, to our door, say, hey, I'm with the government, you need to hand over your guns, we're not going to go down guns a-blazing. Um, <laughs> right? Like it's to, to us, we're like, okay, this is this is dumb. I hate this. Uh, I've got my backups, you know, buried in the, in the neighbor's yard. Um, but, um, but it's like most boating of accident, like, right? Yeah. 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 The, that's where I lost them. Um, yeah, you most, most people are gonna, are gonna comply and nobody wants to say that, uh, nobody wants to believe that, but like what I've studied about, you know, sociology and psychology and, and disasters, um, like the normalcy bias will still have an impact on, on us, even though we are more likely to recognize that things aren't quite normal. If we think that it could possibly remain normal for any period of time or return to normal at any time, we're going to not um, ruffle any feathers. It's like Thomas Jefferson said, you know, the declaration of independence, like basically man will suffer until they can't suffer. Like we're going to, we're going to be pretty patient with things until, until we reach a, um, our limit. <laughs> wow. That's not how he said it, but, but well, that I'll tell you what, that's an apt quote. <laughs> <laughs> that is an apt quote lately in my life. I'll tell you that much. That's a wild one. Yeah. Good timing. Good timing on that one. But, um, you know, and I'm not alone either. So, all right, PBN family, Nat, if you don't mind real quick, I got to take a quick ad break. I got to go turn this, pressure canner off time is up and then uh i want to come back and i want to talk about down in ohio oh yeah mm -hmm. so 
Let's uh, take another quick break. PBN family will be back right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're mad if you do. Are you prepared to be the family doctor in a disaster or emergency? This is the intrepid commander, and I'm holding the Prepper's Medical Handbook by William W. Forgy, M.D. In this great book, you'll learn how to prepare for medical care off the grid. You'll learn about assessment and stabilization. You'll even deal with things like bioterrorism response, radiation, and how to build the off-grid medical kit at home. Look, 2020 taught us a lot about the limitations of our medical infrastructure in America. Get the Prepper's Medical Handbook today at Amazon.com. Again, that's the Prepper's Medical Handbook by William W. Forgey. All right, PBN family, we got to talk about national security experts. Oh, they're warning our aging power grid is more vulnerable than ever. I just read a story about California. What was it? Fire. That's what it was. Fire in a substation. Uh, January marked the third time a power station in North Carolina was damaged by gunfire. I'm glad we haven't heard about that in a while. But was just a month ago. Authorities are saying the attack raises a new level of threat. We'll see. Right. We all can agree that uh, electric infrastructure, electricity infrastructure is terrifying. The grid itself, everybody seems to have a, a reason why it will and will not fail. Um, but look, I want to tell you about the Patriot Power Sidekick, the perfect name from 4 com. I don't know. I don't think we inspired them with the Patriot Power Hour, but they came to us with the Patriot Power Sidekick. And... Uh, Basically, you get a solar generator that doesn't um, install into your house. You know, it's portable, small, size of a lunchbox, but it's powerful. You know, it charge your medical devices, charge your phones, and they even commit to it charging a mini fridge, keeping a mini fridge going. So, you know, if if that backup power solution is something you're looking to do with solar, you know, I always talk about backup power as one of the most, really, it's one of the top three things, I think, most people are going to look to in a disaster where the electricity's compromised. They're going to say, okay, I got food, I got water, and uh, now my cell phone battery's dying. This is a problem. <laughs> um, comes with a free solar panel, too, on top. It's, it's a great deal. So free shipping, practically unheard of, 365-day satisfaction guarantee. All you need to go is, uh, do is go to 4 use the code PREPPERSLIVE. You can get 10% off your... Uh, First purchase at 4 Doesn't have to be a Patriot Power sidekick. They do all kinds of great stuff over at 4Patriots. Uh, so go to 4 Use the code PREPPERSLIVE. This show, PREPPERSLIVE. And, uh, I don't know, get something cool. I'll tell you what I was... If you didn't hear my I Am Liberty show, you should really check out their seed their seed packs, their seed starter packs, their combination seed packs. Now's the time, right? You should have them seeds a-going. It's February. Before you know it, it'll be March, and you'll be saying to yourself, dang, I should have got started in February, like James said. <laughs> so get them things sprouting, man. Get them in the window. Get yourself a, a reliable grow light. They've got a pretty cool little, well, it's a hydroponic light, but, you know, neither here nor there. Visit 4 Use the code PREPPERSLIVE. Save some money. Get prepared. You know the deal. We're here tonight. It is the Relentless Prepper Broadcasting Network, and... uh 
we've got the uh, the master of disaster, not the preparedness guy, is with us. The masters of disaster. <laughs> you need to you need to take that and run with it. <laughs> you could do Maybe. that. You, you could actually pull that off because you have a masters in disaster. But um, so yeah, what really one of the things that really piqued my interest in having you on was you're being awesome. <laughs> the other thing was with all this sort of emergency management stuff that's been in the news lately with the train derailment slash burn off slash contamination slash cloud of doom over 30 states. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, but in, <laughs> in the prepper world, man, people went completely nuts with this cloud of death. Mm -hmm. It was so prepper. It was so like like conspiracy <laughs> yes. driven prepper. It was like he, I sent it to Dave Jones because it was like the border. The beginning with, of the cloud of death was like right over where he's at, and I was like, okay, let me make sure Dave knows about this. And also, I wanted him to you know talk about it. And then the cloud grew, and people were messaging me, and they were like, you know, read this and read that. And there were people saying that in Southern Virginia, chickens were dying. And I was like, my chickens aren't dead. And I'm in Central I know, I Virginia. Saw, I saw a video today of somebody using a, um, a chemical detector meter, right? Oh, like a hazmat team would use. Yeah. And it's just like, be -de 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 -de, like <laughs> this alarm going off. Uh, but if you hold the, you know, pause the video and you look, it's like testing. Um, for oxygen. Like carbon, carbon monoxide. <laughs> yeah, for oxygen. Right? Carbon monoxide and um, some other, some other chemical completely not related to it and they're like i'm getting this even in my basement and it's like okay one those are barely higher than normal levels but but you can you can manipulate those machines to make them alarm they they start an alarm when you turn them on um right like you just they just do that so it's like this very you get these very short segments of these alarms and you can manually activate those alarms it's like this this shows you nothing there's absolutely no <laughs> like this isn't helpful. Uh, I don't know. There's enough there's to worry a, about. There are enough, enough real hazards out there. There's a little bit of that in all of us, though, right? That's what kind of yeah. that's kind of what gets us going, you know? Right. Well, and it's like, if it, if it is true, we want to know, right? Like if if these, if this is has spread that much, man, we really want to know. It's a situational awareness thing. Sure, no doubt about it. I mean, what was your first take when... So, the way it went down, correct me if I'm wrong. First, it's a train derailment of hazardous chemicals, right? Mm -hmm. And then the decision was made that the best way to deal with them was burn them off. I, look, to be honest with you, I can't say yay or nay on any of that because I don't know enough, yeah. you know? I believe the fire, a fire had already started. Oh, so the um, derailment caused the fire. I, yeah, I believe so. Um, it's just, this is kind of funny because my wife's like... And my wife's like, oh, did you hear about that, this truck cr crash in Ohio or, you know, something like something I'm like, no. And, and she heard about it before I did. And so I looked it up. I was like, oh, it was a train. And, um, and yeah, so this, the, the main, oh man, how do we want to approach this? Okay. So <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a lot of communication out of, out of there, like details. And that was, that was kind of a weird thing. Like if we're going to talk about weird things, um, I just want your take. It doesn't have to be weird. It could be whatever. Whatever you thought when you saw it, whatever you thought as it started to build into something else, you know? So a couple things is not every incident gets national attention. 
right? This sure. one isn't the worst. Yeah. The worst hazmat incident in history. It's um, it's it's not good, but it's it's not even like up there. Most most incidents will get a spot in the nightly news. Maybe a couple people share videos online. Not a big deal. Um, this one got a lot of attention, and when something gets a lot of attention, we think it's more important than it is. So if everybody's talking about it then we think everybody should be talking or there's a reason people are talking about it. Not to say that people shouldn't have been talking about it. Um, but, but since then, how many other train derailments and truck crashes have we seen posted on social media? Oh yeah, man. There was a, a ton. Whole, there was a right? whole but, train derailment conspiracy thing starting. Yeah. Out. It was bubbling up. It went away, but you know, this time last week it was like another one, Absolutely. another one. We're, mm-hmm. we're under attack by the Russians. They're attacking the, the trains. Thing, same thing happens with any type of, of emergency that <laughs> that gets a lot of attention. Yeah, if it's a if it's something that happens somewhat regularly, um, it was, there are some some exceptions like active shooter situations. The more attention that gets, the more likely someone is to copycat it. Especially if you're like saying the shooter's name and stuff like that. They've they've proven that that if you focus on the shooter especially if they're sharing his name or like the manifesto if they had one or talking about their motive uh, and their their life and background um it's almost guaranteed that within two weeks you're going to have another active shooter situation wow yeah um so the the um the the best way to do it is to focus on the on the victims um if you have to talk about the shooter uh you know down like talk down about them like this person was pretty pathetic um, <laughs> had nothing going for them in their life uh, made a made a stupid decision you know kind of just so anybody who's contemplating this knows they're not going to get the notoriety that they, yeah. think they will um but that so that aside like there is an actual impact based on how you report and, and share active shooter situations but other things weather incidents earthquakes like if you see a big old earthquake happen then suddenly you're going to see see news articles about earthquakes not because they um not because they're happening more necessarily but because people are paying more attention to earthquakes so the same thing with the, Ooh, these derailments. Sarah Hathaway's going to get you <laughs> she's the queen of earthquakes man yeah well i mean they're a big deal it's like one of the, the biggest disruptions um if you're talking about at least localized grid down scenarios earthquakes affect every part of of life infrastructure all of your needs um they are one of the craziest disasters the fact that the world just starts shaking and cracking (laughs) (laughs) you can't do anything about it that is so wild that's almost i don't know tornadoes are wild too because they don't make sense either like the clouds (laughs) attack you what the hell the clouds are attacking it's crazy yeah you live by the ocean, you're going to get some waves, sometimes big waves. Yeah. But you live in a, a cornfield and, <laughs> yeah, the clouds. I can't even believe it when I see you. I'm still so just mystified by tornadoes. I probably should see one before I die, but I just always have been obsessed with them because it just makes no sense. I mean, it makes perfect sense when you know how it works, but at the same time, it's like, right. it's just what is absurd. going on it's, here? It's fascinating. It is until it's in front yeah. of you. Right. <laughs> yeah, then it gets a little scary. Yeah, so um, bad things happen all the time: disruptions, emergencies, disasters, et cetera, et cetera. So it's they're happening all the time. Most of the trends that we see after the fact 
are just because we're paying attention to that specific thing. Because if we go backwards in time from the one that drew, drew our attention, we would see similar trends typically. Not always, but typically. Um, so, but that doesn't mean that this was nothing, right? This this Ohio incident. And, um, and it doesn't mean that there's not still, that there aren't still serious concerns, especially for people in the localized area. Uh, so when um, an incident, when any incident occurs, and one of the big complaints I've seen people talk about is that you know FEMA wasn't going to respond, et cetera, et cetera, which is funny because um, most of the time people are like, oh, we don't want FEMA. But now they're like, why isn't FEMA there? Um, damned if so, you do, damned if you don't. Right. Um, in emergency management, they try to handle these things at the lowest level possible. Um. But you mean this like got, local level, right? Yeah, the, the yeah. If it's so, yeah. If it's like a, a pyramid, it would be um, at the most local level, disregarding the individual. <laughs> again, again, emergency management seems to discount the individual, mostly because they can't consistently count on an individual to be prepared, right? And then, and then, their own natural prejudice is that when they do see an individual is prepared, they assume. Um, some sort of ulterior motive or or you know craziness or whatever. I really uh, like that though to be honest with you. I think that's a really important message that people need to understand because you know it's the way it's set up right. You know it's set up so that you have the responsibility for you yeah. and then they handle infrastructure. Right. As opposed to like, oh my god, my house is gone. Where's FEMA to give me a house? Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous, and it doesn't make any sense to do something like that. Um, but typically, they do try to handle things at the lo most local level possible. And then there are regional agreements, memorandum of understanding, memorandum of agreement, or whatever, partnerships, like with the next city or county over, um, basically to pull their resources. And then if it gets bigger, state resources come in. This incident, um, the National Guard did show up. The um, governor made a press release, say the National Guard was coming. Um, the particular incident, so if, so let's go back to the very basics. Say you're the first person on the scene. You're coming here to a train derailment. They're all, they all have their placards on them, so maybe you've got some binocul binoculars in your, uh, in your thing, or you can get close enough to see the number on the side of the, the train car, and you figure out what it is. Um, the hazmat or people trained in, in hazmat awareness or first responders are pretty familiar with identifying the placards, uh, not having them memorized, but knowing to look in the uh, emergency response guidebook. Uh, and that's like if they can get one of those. You can get a PDF for free. You can find an uh, app. Uh, I think the ERG app is now a paid app, but there's the Wiser app, which is free, um, which I really like. So but say you show up. Um, you show up to an incident and you have this emergency response guidebook in your um, in your truck. You pull it out and you see the number. Um, let me see real quick. Um, You're gonna throw you a number at us out of the book, yeah. out of memory? No, no, I'm looking it up right now. Let's oh, say you, okay. you look at the you look at the placard and it says 10, 1086, right? So you go to this emergency response guide and you look in there for the number 1086 in the yellow section. And then it tells you what the, 
material is and which guide to look at. So you look at 1086. I'm scrolling through right you know, here. dozens of pages. Um, but it's basically, it's vinyl chloride. And that was the, the predominant, the, the most predominant um, chemical in that in that train wreck. There were like uh, four major ones, and that was the one that was in most of the train cars. So um, 1086, it's guide number 16P, vinyl chloride stabilized. So if we go to um, to guide 116 in the orange section of this book, it just imagine you have a book in front of you, right? No, <laughs> but it's it's a, it's a really handy tool because you can look it up by you can look them up by um, the title, the name of the material, or by the placard number on the the placards. So you go to guide one sixteen, and it gives you some some um, information here. It's the hazards are fire or explosion. It's extremely flammable. It'll be uh, easily ignited by heat, sparks, and flames. Will form explosive mixtures with air, so it's it's dangerous, right? Um, the substances designated with a P may polymerize explosively when heated or involved in a fire. Um, vapors from liquefied gas are initially heavier than air and, and spread along ground. So this is what they're looking at. They pull this open because they uh, nobody has all of these memorized. Um, but you're the first person on the ground. You say, "Oh, I see this uh, this number. I'm looking it up." Looks like we have some vinyl chloride, and they're radioing all this in um, so they can get the people there. And it's involved in fire. And, um, you know, it says some health health hazards here, too. Vapors may cause dizziness cause dizziness or asphyxiation without warning, um, can, be tell, can be toxic if inhaled at high concentrations. Um, contact with gas or liquefied gas may cause burns, severe injury, or frostbite. And uh, the fire may produce irritating and or toxic gases gases so um if you're an if you're a civilian you call 911 um stay up wind uphill or and or upstream so if the wind is blowing in one direction you want to be the side that the wind is blowing from not the side the wind is blowing to um all that stuff so some of these are heavier don't go in your basement or in sewers or anything like that uh, if you have to go into it you got the type of Respiratory protection on this one should be a self-contained breathing apparatus. Uh, so it has firefighters and all that wear, not uh, not just a respirator, although that is some uh, some protection. And then evacuation. It gives also gives you how far, like a large spill, initial downwind of, uh, evacuation should be a half a mile. And, and you said this it, is called the Wiser app? So this, I'm just looking from the uh, emergency response guide, but the Wiser app pretty much has all of this too. Um, Can you spell that? Yeah, W-I-S-E-R. And it's okay. from the National Institutes, uh, Institute of Health, I think, NIH. Uh, but the ERG is, um, it's like the, the, it's an international one. 2020 is the most recent one. For fire, it says if um, tank, rail car, or tank truck is involved in a fire, Isolate for one mile in all directions. Also consider initial evacuation for um, yeah, consider initial evacuation for one mile in all directions. So um, keep away from it, but also evacuate anyone there. And then this is an interesting because they would probably be reading word for word from here because again they don't have this memorized. Do not extinguish a leaking gas fire unless leak can be stopped. So you've got a fire going. 
And the reason for that, I think, is that um, you know, you're going to have this this vapor that's going to go out there, but don't don't extinguish the fire unless you can stop the leak. But partially because this this chemical, this particular chemical has a boiling point of like seven degrees. Oh, I remember them talking about that. That's the yeah. craziest thing I ever heard. Well, you know, well yeah, it's, it is really crazy. But a lot of a lot of um, gases have that. Like you know, uh, I don't know what the boiling point for uh, like propane dioxide is or propane. Right? Like they're, you know, when you you like the the canisters can get super cold. Yeah. Um, like that's all that's all part of it. So they when they pressurize it it turns into a liquid and they can keep it pressurized because the boiling point really has more to do with pressure than, than temperature. But at regular air pressure, seven degrees is the boiling point at higher pressure. So when they shove it propane or carbon dioxide or this vinyl chloride into a container and they pressurize it, it turns into a liquid and its boiling point is going to be a much higher temperature because it's, it's, pressurized and it can be stable and transported as a liquid um but if the fire's going you've got uh, an issue here so that's they made a decision after and i i my my question here is who made this decision it was uh, presumably the national guards making the decision but who in the national guard you know they um i was in the national guard there are probably like five people in the whole state who are, are trained in in um like actually trained in this, this sort of thing, you know, not, not exactly five people, but you've got a small number of either in the army guard, your, um, chemical corps, NBC guys, uh, Dave Jones, right. Um, or you have, um, in the air guard side, so the state has an air national guard. Um, you have a small number of emergency managers, um, who are, are trained in this response too. So somebody was making the call that, um, that, hey, we're risking this blevy, which is a boiling liquid, liquid uh, expanding vapor explosion, so a blevy. And this liquid, because it has such a low boiling point and because it's leaking already, it can it's boiling inside this container and can cause a massive explosion. So somebody made the decision, we're going to off-gas this. And we're going to let it burn off um, because it's less it's less deadly when it's after it's burned off. You know, it, it takes most of the material out. Uh, so somebody made the decision. Yeah, let's go ahead and off gas this. Let it burn. I think they opened up some of the I think they actually opened up some of the canisters. I, I don't know for sure, but that's what it sounded like that they some of the tanks that were leaking. They said, let's really open it up, let it go and then let it catch fire. And um one issue with that is that it's still not um, healthy, right? Yeah, you know, the chemicals that go in there, whatever, whatever it becomes, but the heat makes it rise, and uh, where normally it would have stayed local, like would have spilled out, the vapor uh, or gas that it became would have stayed in the area, and the wind would have moved it, and as it moves, it it dilutes and dissipates, but when the when you burn anything, the heat takes everything up into the air and then the air has different weather patterns. So now you've got this going much further, even though it's going to be less of a material, but now you, you do have it going further because it's going into a, um, into the atmosphere and being blown by the wind up there as it gradually falls down. The same thing happens with like nuclear fallout, right? The mushroom <clears throat> cloud puts it up in the air 
and then whatever the the wind pattern is up in the atmosphere is where the fallout's going to go not right. the, not the surface yeah yeah um, i feel like you this is you, i'm running into this same thing with you explaining this that i run into with dave jones all the time and it's there is nobody who gets on tv or or gets in front of the american people and says exactly what you're saying right now <laughs> I mean, that's like well, 90% of the issue, right? Is the communication yes. is so brutal. I mean, that was the, that was the real issue. Not maybe not the real issue, but that was one of the main issues through the entire pandemic. If somebody had just gone up and, and was very specific, here's what we know. Here's what we don't. Here's what we know about masks. Here's what we don't know about masks. Here's what we know about the vaccine. Here's what we don't know about the vaccine. And then let people make their own decisions. Like this all would have been sorted out really quickly. But instead, like people are, like they did talk a lot. It was the wrong thing. But this incident in particular is a perfect example of what you're saying. Not only was the, the you know, the governor had done a couple press releases, the local people weren't really communicating an effective message. I was hearing from emergency managers, like we, you know, kind of reach out on like LinkedIn or um, emails and whatever else. Um, emergency managers from all over the country are just like, hey, does anybody have a validated situation report for this incident? And there's just like nothing out there. Um, and that is it, just like this radio silence is the weirdest part about this from an emergency management perspective. And I, I understand that if you're the, if you're a local emergency manager in a rural Ohio town, uh, like you you've got a lot on your plate on a day like this, but. Once the state is brought in and you're dealing with with those resources and they have a public information officer, you should be doing regular updates, especially once it's on national news, spreading on social media. Everybody's got questions about it. And even now with, um, you know, you have reporters there who are filming this toxic, these toxic um, water and whatever else is sitting there like, hey, we've got we still have these issues and no one's really giving an effective, clear communication yeah, I wonder, I wonder, you know, of course, nothing's perfect in the problem with the clear and concise. The problem with the clear and concise communication is the source, because I'm just going to be honest, if Joe Biden gets up and says, I'm going to tell you all about Ohio, then half of the nation's going to go, uh, that's all a lie. Right. <laughs> and consequently, right, if if Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump gets into office next go round, then it'll be the exact same thing. Amer yeah. My fellow Americans, let me tell you about this disaster in Ohio and half the people are going to go, he's full of shit. And the other half are going to mm -hmm. go, oh, OK, cool. So I guess, you know, yeah. it goes back to here's the other problem, right? Because in my head, I start thinking, OK, can we craft a a common narrative that comes out of maybe emergency management that goes to alternative news outlets where we can, you know, disperse that information. And then, you know, that's the same story, right? It's like, well, it came out of the government, so it's probably bullshit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, well, it, yeah, it's, it's tough. That's the, that's the, I mean, that's a struggle. Like your communication, sometimes they don't share, like it's the truth about all of these incidents that, that we never have the full story. We never do. Um, so like looking at this, we didn't have the full story. It, the best the best information comes from a local expert. So if they had had um, a local hazmat technician on there, 
and say, hey, I've been dealing with this. These are the readings we found. These are the, the this is the situation. Here's what we did and here's why we did it. And then that's it. Like we all would have been like, oh yeah, okay. Cause we don't know anything about that guy's politics or any of that stuff. So the, the, it just rules it out. And all he's doing is, is telling you factually what happened. And, and it goes back to dealing with things at the lowest level possible or the most local level possible. Um, like the governor trying to do it, you know, he's trying to save face, even if the mayor or somebody did it. Um, a fire chief is good. Um, but if it's a local emergency manager might be good, but if it's like actually the subject matter expert, the person who's dealing with this, hi, I've been on the scene and here's what, here's what I saw. Here's what I did. These are the readings we got. They'd be like, Oh, all right. And then we forget about it. But when we don't know, we start to speculate. Um, yeah, I've got a, a couple examples of not knowing the full story. I, I did uh, a little bit of like volunteer firefighting when I was younger. Um, and I remember one morning, it was probably like four o'clock in the morning. And so the world was completely silent and dead, like everyone's asleep. And we're heading uh, in an ambulance, headed somewhere to somebody who was hurt or sick. I don't even remember the, the incident. And, um, and I was like, wow, like nobody has any idea that we're out here. I mean, maybe people that we pass by might hear the sirens or whatever, but everybody's sleeping. They have no idea. We're just going in the cover of night. And nobody has any clue that that so and so who we're going to help right now is is hurt. Like it's just it's just not in the public awareness. And it kind of reshaped the the way I the way I saw things because it's like wow, like so much happens behind the scenes in any in any aspect of life, not just emergencies. But um, you think about the the services that the you know garbage men do. <laughs> you know, like we oh we, yeah. We don't, we don't really notice all of the things that really it really takes to, to keep society running. Um, the, all these people that are doing hard, quiet labor. Um, so that was one one incident. But also, on a big scale, you know, like this Ohio thing, I've been involved in some some medium level things, like an active shooter situation. Um, and I'm working this, and I'm dealing with with families of uh, victims and doing all this stuff. And I, I kept, I would check the news occasionally for kind of for situational awareness. Um, but I, I checked the news after I got home, you know, it was like crazy. Uh, just dealing with stuff. I checked the news. I'm like, wow, they really have no idea what's going on. Uh, you know, they, like they had got the, the press release. Most of the information is because, the, especially if it's a, a, a crime scene, they can't just release all the information right away. Um, but it's like, wow, everyone is speculating. Social media, people who have been talking about it just really didn't know um, what actually was happening on the ground. And it's like, is that story ever going to come out? Probably not, you know, but um, we have to assume when we see an incident that we don't have the full picture for whatever. Sometimes it's a legitimate reason, like it's an investigation or um, or they're they're gathering the, the facts and they they told us everything they know. And sometimes they're intentionally not telling us everything they know. Um, and then another example is like a worldwide thing. When I was in the military, um, yeah, I'm not like a, I wasn't like a, a secret squirrel type guy, but um, yeah, I did have just security clearances. Almost everybody does in the military. And um, one particular incident, which I still don't, I can't like talk details. Um, not that it would not, again, it's not like a super secret squirrel type thing, but um, it did impact the global, a global theater for uh, global politics and uh, potential uh, hostilities. 
there was a lot of very specific information, a lot of specific expectations um, and actions that would be taking if taken if um, things if certain certain things didn't happen by a certain day. Uh, they had very specific military action that would happen. And I'm sitting there listening to this, like, wow, like, wow, like this is, this is crazy hearing this because again, nobody on the outside knows this. Um, like how, imagine how, what they're talking about right now. <laughs> right. Right. Like you, there are people having meetings, uh, probably, probably planning attacks all over the world or whatever, you know, it's just like, we just have no idea what is going on. We don't ever have the full story. So, so whether it's the large scale worldwide events, uh, worldwide impacts, if it's a local thing that's being reported nationally, or if it's, if it's one car accident or sick person, um, we really don't have that kind of situational awareness. No, it's it's good to have some situational awareness. I don't watch the news anymore. Um, I get I get my news through memes. Um, but <laughs> you talking but national? Like, I don't I don't I don't really even watch local news or really. I, yeah, like um, not really. No, <laughs> I, I look at the weather and that's pretty much it. If if I get enough information through people I work with or through through social media to see if something is going on. I'll look at it, you know, like verify some facts, but I, um, I don't watch the news. I used to watch it. I used to sit in the uh, emergency operations center and just have like, you know, like CNN, Fox, MSNBC, and, um, and the weather channel, like off the four different screens, just like to get all these different perspectives of everything that was happening. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Last couple of years, I just turned it all off. Propaganda. Um, yeah, it, it really, it really is, and it goes back to this: we don't know the whole story. So, uh, with this this Ohio incident, you're talking about how just out of control some of the reporting got, videos people are sharing, pictures. Um, we're basing we're basing our speculation on information that's either, um it might be accidentally incorrect or incomplete. It might be intentionally incorrect or incomplete, but it's likely propaganda. And that's most of the, that's what most of the news is. And if we base our, our speculation or our, or change the way that we do our preparedness or our planning based on what we're being told through propaganda, it's like then the propaganda is working. You know, we can't, we can't think we're, <laughs> yeah, we can't think that we're so like we're so awake that that when the news says something that's concerning and we decide we're going to be more prepared for it or or however it is or that we're going to um, hunker down or something that we're not doing what they want us to do. You know, like we're not reading between the lines on these things because we have no idea what the lines are. Yeah. We don't even know what, what kind of paper it is. <laughs> yeah. If there's yeah. paper or not. Yeah, right. <laughs> or if it's written in our own blood, we don't know. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and it, yeah, emergency managers often have no idea what's going on. Like this Ohio incident, nobody knew what was going on. Um, but yeah, if clear communication happens from the most local level possible, then it simplifies things and everyone can get just a basic assessment of what's happening and way less confusing. So what are you doing on your end of things to help people get prepared? Because I know you got a lot of stuff you're working on. 
Yeah. Um, recently started doing a podcast myself. It's Preparedness Works. Um, I have a handful of, I think, like eight or nine episodes up of that. Um, I've done some interviews with people and talking about their own specific situations where preparedness has worked for them. Um, and then just some, um, some of my own thoughts on a few of them. Um, so that's, that's been fun. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, moving forward. Um, my yeah, whole podcasting's right addictive, right, man? Right, it's one of those it things. Yeah. I've, I don't know how many like drafts of things, ideas, like outlines I have <laughs> open, uh, you know, like all over my computer. I've got, I use like one note and I've got just, um, so many tabs. It's wild. Of those things. Yeah. We, just, we only it, have like 4,000 episodes. It's no big deal. Oh, oh, that's all. <laughs> yeah. No biggie. <laughs> yeah. Um, mostly I'm, I'm re kind of restructuring the way I'm doing a lot of stuff. I, I uh, stopped doing as many reels as I was doing. I was doing them every single day sometimes a couple times a day and I've, I've definitely scaled back doing that and I'm trying to make it more informative and to the point, but also just talk about like the, um, the idea of preparedness as well as share some practical tips, you know, yeah, I like that. Um, your video yeah. game real man. <laughs> like if I, the, I don't know, see the problem with the only problem with Instagram is you need it's why I made the membership website because there's things that people create nowadays that are so good that you need to be able to get right to them. And that was the best. <laughs> that I have was another one. Best. I have another one planned. It's, but it's taken like two months. I just haven't gotten around to it, but uh, yeah, I have a part two coming sometime. Maybe. Do you know what um, I mean we'll... though, from a content creator standpoint, like I'm sure you've got a list that, that in your head of like, these five were awesome. And now they're so buried because the demand is show me something new. Show me something new yep. today. Show me something yeah. new tomorrow, man. Yeah. I think the next big social media platform needs to be something that has like your, your own personal hall of fame. You know what I mean? Right. That you can share with your people. Stuff gets yeah. buried. It's sad, but that it was really phenomenal, does. man. That was my favorite. <laughs> Thank you. Thank of you. All of them. Oh, yeah. I had fun with it. Um, the next one should be good too if I ever get around to doing it. Um, I should probably yeah, so. real quick explain it to the audience because they're going, what is that? <laughs> yeah. So like yeah. Nat did a character selection screen for, I think it was four different types of preppers and he did it like as, as though he was that type of character and he had the garb on and you know, the, the accoutrement to go along with it. And it was just so good. I don't remember all four of them. If you wanted to speak to them, it was. Yeah. I, well, I don't remember them all either. Um, it, but it had like, you know, uh, like stats for them. Well, not, not yeah. like stats, but, but like, it was like, choose your character and then would have, um, just details about it. Like the, uh, the, I don't know if we called it a mall ninja or, or what we call it. It was the guy something like, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got them written down here. So I'm just flipping through my notebook. Man, it was, uh, good. <laughs> it was fun. And, and I had the boy scout, you know, always has a pocket knife, um, can start a campfire, always willing to lend a helping hand. Um, the professionals, I did like the emergency manager, professional, professional, uh, maybe first responder, um, the homesteader so i had like an apron yeah and some eggs and uh, some cans or something and the gray man the quote 
gray man it was like an oakley's and 511 gear oh uh, yeah right yeah the one who thinks he's blending in like i'm going gray man but it's really just like obvious you know i i knew some people who um um like worked at quantico or lived in and around quantico in virginia that's where they trained the fbi yeah and um and they told me that when they were living over there um they knew when people were going out on like field ops because they were all wearing the same thing, these like khakis and polos and, and the same sunglasses and baseball caps. And it's like, these people aren't blending in at all. Um, yeah. You see those guys everywhere now. Right. That it's just look like, is it, pretty synonymous, right? Right. It, yeah. It's just, it's just basically like we like, yeah, everyone wears it. It's like the, the unofficial prepper uniform or, <laughs> Off duty, you know, cop or whatever. Yeah, um, I don't even a own tag. a polo. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I wear for work. It's uh, ridiculous. Um, there was the tactical ball ninja. Yeah, that body was... owner, body odor, uh, cheap equipment and gear that don't match. Made in China <laughs> you know, or Taiwan or whatever. That sounds like me, so, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I think we all, I think we all go through a phase like that, uh, definitely. And it's like all of these, um, it's like I drew from my own personal experience too from all of these, you know, like, like we, if we can't laugh at ourselves, then you know, there was the bug out lone wolf guy, the one who, um, is he confident like he can carry a, right? yeah, he can carry a 75% or 75 pound bag, you know, a hundred miles, but he's out of shape and, um, he's going to leave his family behind when he bugs out. <laughs> Because he hasn't made a plan for them. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, yeah. Uh, the uh, oh, I wanted to talk about that Wiser app because we kind of brushed over that. Yeah, sure. So you can Let's look up. It. You can look up the um, the chemical and can tell you the details about it, kind of like the emergency response guide. But the one cool thing about this is that um, if you're on the main page, you look down and there's like a plume modeling thing. It's a it's a little fan. Um, I don't know how to describe it, but it's the second one from the left and you click on that and you can plot your, uh, the chemical. It's a very you know rough sketch, but you can plot it on a map and, um, you, you check the wind direction. You can pick a, a location, um, you can put in an address or you can use your current location and, um, so let me just type in like a, a city. You can use an address. You can do whatever. Uh, the time of day, if it's day or night, and that matters too because the the temperature difference. Um, this you know the sun is going to have a, a more chance of evaporating things. Is the spill small or large? And then what kind of uh, map do you want to use? Um, and is it involved in a fire? So let's say yes, it's involved in a fire. It's large. The wind direction. I just picked one and I can hit plot and it will show me a little map of where you should avoid the evacuation area based on the wind direction and all this stuff. It's just, it's super cool because you can just do it real quick on your phone. Uh, but it also shows you that these types of incidents, even if it's a train car still aren't going to cover, you know, half the state. It's going to be, um, you know, several city blocks, but it's not going to be, it's not going to, you know, you don't have to, to think that you're in a fatal area if you are miles and miles and miles away. This app is huge. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's super I'm handy. Looking and, at it. It's got all kinds then, of stuff. In the military, we had this thing called Seaburn IS, um, and it was for plotting. We could plot, and we we learned how to like manually plot things. We would get a weather report. We would look at the the type of incident, how persistent it is, and there's a, basically all these algorithms we would go through, calculate all this stuff, and then we would um, draw on a map. And we could even do like different periods of time. Uh, you know, these are the perishable skills for sure. But so I couldn't do it anymore. But uh, we could manually plot it over a period of time where the plume would be and at what concentration it would be over that over the next hour, two hours, three hours, et cetera. Um, we could do it for chemicals. Um, if there was a biological thing, which, you know, that was never a, a huge con- concern for this, this sort of uh, attack, but you could have like a spray of uh, biological things, uh, nuclear, we could track like the fallout, um, all of that. Um, the Seaburn IS does it, but it does it, um, virtually it's all online and it is super cool because you can put in all the details you can put in the the chemical what type of munition or release it was so if it was a a tank car how many tank cars um where on the map it was and it it uses it it calculates kind of the terrain of the area too um so it can show you where this the chemical is going to settle if it's a heavy one um what area where the wind's going to blow it if there's a waterway you got to be concerned about that um anyway, it was super super cool stuff this is basically the simplified model of that um a very simplified model of that but it works it gives you all the essential details that you need here's the spill here's the initial isolation area um where, where's the overall hazard area that you want to stay out of um, and the red, the red, I have a, you know, like a red dotted line around it. And that's if a fire is involved, that's how far away you want to be for this particular thing, a vinyl chloride. Um, so you pick your hazard and then you can plot it on a map anywhere. Pretty cool, man. A lot of yeah, cool stuff. It's pretty fun. And it gives you just a more realistic picture of how these things work. And I know there's the issue that the, you know, CDC just updated the cancer you know, or the, whatever the, the hazard chart for this particular incident right before this happened. And it's true. There is a, there is a cancer risk of, of this. And you can look it up in the NIOSH guide if you, if the CDC is not doing it. So N I O S H that's the occupational safety, whatever. Um, it, liver cancer is basically a, a potential hazard for vinyl chloride, uh, uh, a health impact. Um, so I don't know if the CDC completely removed that or not, but I've seen a lot of social media posts talking about that sort of thing. Um, you know, I, you know, I don't think the government has our, our best interests in mind, but I also um, question how organized they are pulling something like this off. They're pretty good at taking advantage of emergencies. I don't know how well they are, how well they plan them, though. Understood. So I guess before we wrap it up, what um, <clears throat> with your emergency management hat on. What are some areas you think when you when you now that you've been sort of dipped into the prepping world for two three years? What are some areas that are glaring that preppers can improve? You know, you look at preppers so, and you're like, you got some cool stuff, but you guys have really got some holes over here. <laughs> um, a few things. I mean, I like really. I started prepping quite a while ago. I was you know as a Boy Scout and stuff like that. But I remember in about 2012, I really like dove into the online forums. And that's when you'd run into people who only think doomsday, only think whatever. And it's like you talk about building a community or about helping people in a disaster. 
And they're like, I'm going to shoot anybody that comes within 50 yards of my house. You know, it's like most of the, <laughs> most of the prepper community is not like that. Um, but you did have, you'd get these people who just, you know, staked a, a claim on these online forums and would act like that. Um, so don't be that guy. Um, overall, like, yes, focus on your needs. Do not focus on the hazards though. Like it's imp- this is kind of a, a like a weird dichotomy. You need to understand the hazards that you're most likely to face. So if you're in Tornado Alley, tornadoes need to be on the top of your mind because you need to know how to respond to them. But your preparedness shouldn't be focused on this, these scenarios that you think will happen. It shouldn't be your doomsday scenario. It's this is you know like the doomsday prepper shows how they made each um, participant pick uh, a doomsday scenario that they were preparing for specifically. Um, don't don't do that. Uh, you know, then it just gets into like doomsday fantasy where you're trying to come up. That's why people like zombies is it's, it's fun. You know, that's the hobby. That's the hobby side of prepping. The real effective practical side of prepping is you understand your hazards, but then you look at how they impact your needs. You need to understand all of your basic needs. The hazard doesn't matter so much as, as how it impacts you. Um, like if your power is out, does it really matter? I mean, it does a little bit, but, but your power is out. That's the impact to you. If it was a tree that fell down or if it was an EMP, your power is still out. Um, not to say, not to say there aren't uh, further repercussions you know, based on, the, <laughs> on those different things, but, um, but you don't have to think, Oh, if an EMP happens, here's all the things I need to do. Um, because that's such a bad, bad situation. It's no, I, I need to be able to, um, have food, water, shelter heat or cooling uh, sanitation etc cetera, etc cetera. you go down this list i need that and then it doesn't matter if it was an emp or a war or an earthquake or a tree falling on a power line if it cuts out your needs like whatever happens it impacts your needs and so it's how it impacts you that matters and emergency management kind of misses that a little bit too but um but preppers like we're used to just like picking a really bad scenario like oh i'm preparing for an emp or i'm preparing for an earthquake whatever and it's not that you shouldn't know how to respond to those things but your preparedness shouldn't be framed around a disaster or a hazard it should be framed around your needs um and that makes you more effective because if you have water because it's your need then it doesn't matter why you need water because you have water i like it so where else can we find you, Nat? Um, so Instagram is where I'm most active. Um, Preparedness Works Podcast. Uh, and my website is preparednessguy.com. I've got a, if you sign up on the website, put in your email, um, you'll get an email with a document. It's a family emergency plan. So it's, we're talking about hazards. When, when you have a specific hazard happen, um, so if there's an earthquake or a tornado or a fire, et cetera, your most pressing need in that instant is to stay alive. So it has the uh, it has the basic emergency response things to do in those situations, but it also has the gra- uh, grid papers so you can draw the outline for your house. You print it off, you can draw the outline for your house, do your evacuation routes, um, identify your internal shelter location, your external assembly location, um, do your family communication plan, any special needs that you have in your family, like medications, um, people with 
allergies or illness or medical conditions, et cetera. You can all put you can put all of that in there. Um, so you can just print it off and have your own family emergency plan. And this plays into what we talked about at the beginning, that you can have a um, you can do basically emergency management for your own hand, home. You have a a plan. You can talk through it. You can walk through it, and then you can run through it. Um, so you can start doing drills with your family, but you have a script right there in your emergency plan because you've talked through it. What would we do? Where would we go? All right, now let's let's practice. Let's practice one part of it. Let's fill the fill the doors. This is how we would fill a door to see if it's hot. Or here's how we would crawl on the floor. Here's how to open the window to be able to to get out of it. Um, things like that. So you just pick a piece of it. You can use them. You can use the emergency guide or the, the family emergency plan as your template for your drills and exercises. I love it, man. Can't have enough of those things. People got to stay motivated 365 days of the year. And I find, uh, you know, those things help keep people motivated, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, you were awesome, man. I think well, uh, awesome. we need more correspondence from that, the preparedness guy, when disasters happen. I'll, um, I'll act like a, a reporter on scene or something. <laughs> <laughs> now your take's unique, man. It's good. We do our best, you know, but we're just, you know, regular people prepping. We well, don't have is... uh, the background that you have and, and you're plugged in, you know, it's just, it is what it is. Yeah. And I've, I've learned that in, it's the individual that matters. I mean, that's my, that's my whole focus now. I mean, I obviously I'm helping my organizations be better prepared, but Man, the individual aspect of it, that is that's where it's at. That's what really matters is making a more self reliant community, being able to, to handle more things because that's fewer people the the government and nine on one and whoever else has to uh, worry about. And you're taking care of yourself, your family, your neighbors, just makes the makes everybody better off when you're prepared. Beautiful. All right, man, we'll have you back on for sure. And I'll tell you what, you should start um start recruiting some of these hosts to come on your show, your podcast. They'll, they'll, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure yeah, it would absolutely. be a cool little conversation. Um, That'd be awesome. All right, PBN family. This is the man, not the preparedness guy. Check him out. He, uh, we, last week we were talking about sort of our circle. And then we were talking about those other, you know, concentric circles of people within our network, friends and, you know, all that type of thing. And that, that's who Nat is. You know, he's a, He's now he's a prepper camp regular. We see him every year. I'm sure we'll see him this year. And, you know, it's just part of building that larger prepping community. Um, I do appreciate you guys, members. Thank you so much for the support. Keep the lights on. Keep the archives stacked. I've done enough ads and stuff tonight's episode. We'll just call it uh, call it done. Thanks again, Nat, for coming on the show. And PBN family, we'll Thank talk you. soon. Thank you for listening to the Prepper Broadcasting Network, where we promote self-reliance and independence. Tune in tomorrow for another great show and visit us at PrepperBroadcasting.com.